Whether for work or for play, the future of how we connect relies on bringing more people into VR. And our path begins by broadening access through innovations in hardware. Welcome to Moonshot. I'm Christopher Lawson, and this is Sean Liu, Director of Product Management at Oculus, speaking at Facebook's F8 conference in April. Oculus make virtual reality headsets and is core to Facebook's strategy to get more and more people using VR. For instance, we're making VR simpler with Oculus Quest. Quest is an all-in-one headset with no cables and full freedom of movement. No more external sensors, no more PC to send up. It's all on the headset. VR has become a big buzzword in Silicon Valley, ever since Facebook purchased Oculus for $2 billion back in 2014, although the true purchase price was around $3 billion. However, many headsets have required a powerful computer to drive them, and were tied down by annoying cables. They've also been very expensive, which means all VR companies have been focused on delivering premium quality experiences at a price the average consumer can afford. Sure, we had devices like Google Cardboard, but they never delivered that high quality experience. And we're now just starting to reach that point where everyday consumers can afford to buy high quality, wireless and affordable VR devices. Insight is our inside out tracking system that uses onboard sensors to automatically build a map of your physical play space. The map is just used for tracking and only stored locally on the device. Oculus Quest is priced at less than 500 US dollars and the company may have figured out the secret to keeping you from being tethered to a computer at a price point that everyone can afford. But once you have a VR headset, what do you actually do with it? I'm sorry, you have to wait. You have to wait. Yeah. I'm slowing down because there are too many people in What's the next number? This here is audio from a VR experience called Hunger in LA. And it places you at a food bank that's been overrun with people needing support. Be in line where your number is. Please don't push. You see all the activity of the food bank, and then someone collapses in the line. Okay, he's having a seizure. Okay. This whole experience is a work of journalism that's about helping you connect with the experience of being at a food bank in a way that just can't be achieved through any other medium. Well, you can't really make people feel hungry, right? But by putting them on scene at a situation that's unfolding where many, many people are waiting in line for food, where the woman who's running the food bank is completely overwhelmed, where a man whose blood sugar drops too low because he's waiting in that line too long and he collapses into a diabetic coma and the ER workers come and then somebody tries to steal food in the chaos. I mean, the whole scene, you feel that you're there and you feel this kind of helplessness that you can't do something about it. And I think it was a powerful way to get people to understand um, how uh, difficult it is to be uh, going hungry and how difficult the situation is when you're talking about like one in four people in the United States, uh, you know, ending up having to go to food banks. It's insane, right? This is Noni Della Pena, and she's the founder and CEO of Emblematic Group, a company focused on creating these immersive storytelling experiences. 
and she's considered a pioneer of immersive journalism. So um, this story uh, was was really with an outgrowth of a larger piece that the journalism students were doing at USC, looking into what was called Hunger in the Golden State. Uh, uh, you know, California is one of America's breadbaskets, yet all these people are going hungry. And I wanted to do an accompanying VR piece. And and this was the piece that I ended up creating. It took about two years because I had no budget and I had to become a better coder. This is when I was really became dedicated to learning Unity in order to make this piece and um, learning how to be Ducey Sharp. And and I got a lot of help. And, And then, you know, we showed up with goggles at Sundance that, you know, were, were made by Palmer Lucky, um, who nine months later started Oculus Rift. Um, the only pair of goggles we had at the time was like a $50,000 pair at the USC lab. And the head of the lab was like, you can't take those anywhere. So we, um, we had to make goggles. Hunger in LA was a pioneering achievement that placed you right in the heart of the story. But despite being an early pioneer of this type of interactive storytelling, Nonnie actually came from a traditional journalism career. She worked at Newsweek along with production roles in Hollywood before she decided to go all in and learn coding and create these immersive experiences. I kind of was doing all these things, but it was always in this medium that was very flat. And um, I always had a sense that the world was you know, much more spatial. So when I first started hearing about virtual reality, I, I got very excited about the idea of being able to put people on scene in real stories. And um, uh, I had done a film called Unconstitutional that looked at all the civil liberties violations post 9-11 in the US. And I did a big segment on Guantanamo Bay prison. Um, and then uh, with a grant from the MacArthur Foundation, Bay Area Video Coalition, um, uh, along with digital artist Peggy Weil, we created a virtual Guantanamo Bay prison in Second Life. Um, here was a place that was off limits, most citizens and press. We wanted to make a place you could go to. So we built this this um, space. And uh, after we made that piece, I thought, oh my goodness, I could do this, use this for all kinds of journalism. And that's when I came up with the concept of immersive journalism. Nani started working on Hungary in LA in 2009. And then in 2012, it premiered at Sundance as their first VR piece and received wide acclaim. We didn't know how people were going to react, right? Um, But it was crazy. People were crying down on the ground trying to talk to this invisible character, um, begging us to stay open, three-hour wait lines. It was was an uh, enormously successful endeavor. How did that make you feel when you... sort of saw the way that people were reacting to it. You know, you kind of feel guilty making people cry so hard, you know? When you do that in a film, you're like, you're distanced from them. But in VR, like, generally, you're right next to them when they take the headset off and then they want to talk to you and they're crying. They're like, oh, my God, what can I do to help? And it's hard to take credit for stuff, right? It's kind of uncomfortable. But I can say with Hunger in LA that, I think it opened the door for lots of people to say this medium can be used for very different things than, than what one assumed. Like, you know, everybody kept thinking, oh, well, this will be a gaming or a military space. But I turned it into a place where all kinds of stories could be told. The overwhelmingly positive response from audiences to Hunger in LA inspired Noni to continue pushing forward with VR and turn this into her entire career. It was really clear to me after Sundance that, that I'd, I'd found my life's work, 
right? I had been trying print journalism. I'd been trying, journal, uh, you know, documentary film. I had been on staff on TV shows. I'd been a Hollywood producer. I had done all these different things that I liked, but nothing really hit me until I started working in VR and started tying these stories that I realized could have a serious um, impact. I mean, you're trying in journalism all the time to get people to be there. And this was the first medium where I felt that I could put people on scene and have them really understand situations in a much more visceral way. Um, you know, I'd worked in all these other, other formats um, and this was just different. And we'll explore some more of these immersive journalism experiences right after this break. Welcome back to Moonshot. I'm Christopher Lawson, and we're speaking with Noni Dalapena, the founder and CEO of Emblematic, and an expert in immersive storytelling. And after deciding that she wanted to pursue VR as her life's work, Noni began covering all kinds of journalism in an entirely new way. There's a story of Kia, um, who was killed by her ex-partner and the father of her child, and the two her two sisters have become activists against gun violence, um, domestic abuse. Um, we've had the story about LGBTQ homelessness, which is uh, told the story of a, uh, a guy who um, captured the moment when his family tries to do a religious intervention and ends up assaulting him. And we put you on scene in a recreation of that. We've done work now on climate change. I mean, how can you possibly understand the enormity of a, you know, ice measure glacier melting unless you're on scene and it happens in a big, huge time-lapse way around you? So the medium itself is so, uh, it affords such an extraordinary uh, potential for telling important stories. With the climate change piece that we did with Frontline, PBS Frontline and, and Nova, we put you with these scientists from NASA on their research planes when they're like dropping a thermometer, you know, back outside the back of the plane, like next to the toilet. And it's like, oh, I could do that. Oh, they're not in some cubby hole making up data. Like it really helps demystify the science gathering. And I think that there's so many reasons to believe that this uh, medium offers a very different kind of um, experience than uh, uh, other format uh, of journalism. Now, that's not to say those other ones are going to go away. Obviously, audio is more important than ever, right? However, it, it will be another uh, way to experience all kinds of different stories. There was a moment when I was with the kids at a Disney film, Moana, and she is floating underneath the stars and, and her grandmother comes to visit her. And all I could think while I was in that movie theater is, why can't I look up and see the stars? Why am I trapped to look at this little square box, right? Why is it happening all around me. And that was a moment in a movie theater when I was like, oh, anytime I go to the movies now, I see the, the frame. Um, so I can guarantee you that all stories are going to become all enveloping. Um, it just so happened that um, I happened to choose a story about hunger to first begin to show people that this is a, a medium that can be fully embodied. As a podcast producer and journalist, I know all too well the power of using the right platform to tell a specific story. Not every story works as a podcast series or a documentary or a television special. 
And it's the same thing with immersive storytelling. You not only have to think about audio, but also the visuals and the environment that you're going to place the user into. So what kind of stories actually make a great VR experience? And what considerations do you need to make if you want to use virtual or mixed reality as your storytelling medium? Yeah, I sort of, I know people sort of say, well, should all stories be told in whichever medium? But I think very sweetly, Janet Murray, who, if you know her, she's a professor at Georgia Tech. She got a present from researchers from Verizon with with Yahoo Verizon. They sent her a pillow with a quote that she uses for me, but about how do you start, right? And you got to literally close your eyes and imagine your body being there. Close your eyes, imagine your body being on scene and start building from there. And then go to any story that you want to tell and say, okay, now I'm on, I'm on scene, I'm there. How am I going to tell this story, you know, from that perspective? I think that that's uh, really the main starting point, you know, and obviously, like I said, you can't make somebody feel hungry, but you can make them feel like they're on scene witnessing something that there's no way that they have before. They're not going to food banks. They're not in the living room when a woman's being held hostage with a gun by her ex-partner. They're not in, uh, uh, you just don't can't get that kind of experience uh, any other way. When you go about actually creating these stories, it, what's the first thing that you do? Are you first looking for like compelling, compelling audio to then build a story around it? Are you looking specifically at um, at the kind of narrative of what what is happening to see whether it's going to be like visually something that you can recreate? Like, what are you thinking about through that process? So it really depends on the piece these days, right? Because the technology has moved on so much. So a, a lot of the early pieces were very audio. Um, it was crucial to find good audio to convey the emotion. Uh, Hunger in Los Angeles is very powerful than audio. Kia, the audio was really incredible because the two sisters both call 911 um, and they both have their phones live the whole time. So I had two tracks to intercut um, the story with. Daniel certainly is recording this crazy moment when he's being attacked. But in the flip side, um, we also are starting to be able to do things like the solitary confinement piece we did with Frontline, where we did videogrammetry of a guy who spent uh, a number of years inside a um, solitary cell. And we were able to actually get access to the main prison to do photogrammetry of the cell. So now you're talking about somebody recounting their experience inside that cell while you're in there with them. So the audio is not like I'm recounting, it's not audio from an actual moment, but rather him telling how he went crazy in this little room and, you know, tore out the hair from his eyelashes to his ankles on one side of his body, right? And when you're watching the man, you know, with his big scars on his arm, describing cutting himself while you're next to this person, which is their big holograms with their photo reel because they're video, it becomes a very powerful um, and unique experience. So you know, each story that we, you want to tell is going to have a different approach. But um, uh, while I used to have to really go audio first, now we can start constructing things a little bit differently because we can start to capture people in full volume. And now it becomes a little bit more like um, traditional storytelling, whether it's documentary or film. These projects must take uh, like a huge amount of time to put together. Obviously, you know, in comparison to doing like a a feature story, like there's a lot more involved in creating this content. Yeah, it really depends on the piece. Some pieces can take as little as three months, but some, you know, we've we've gone to some of the frontline pieces took much much longer. 
So um, it really depends on what's required. You know, when you're worrying about uh, photogrammetry of um, environments in Greenland, it's going to take a lot, uh, uh, it'll be a lot harder to capture and, and put together. So it, it truly depends on the piece. And some of the pieces, you know, we we were able to do in just a few months. But um, it really is much, it, the time frame is really similar to to doing a film. Admittedly, the, the components are different to put together, but, you know, we're not making special effects films, right? Which, you know, again, it's sort of like, okay, what am I going to make? Am I going to make a small indie love story with just a couple of characters or I'm going to make a huge uh, special effects piece, right? And the same goes when you're working on this medium, right? You, you, the more people you have, the more expensive it's going to get. And uh, similarly, more environments you have, the more expensive it's going to get. Really, the, the calculations are very similar. Just like other works of journalism that take a lot of time to put together, funding these projects can be really challenging. Noni says they've used a lot of grants and independent financing from partners to produce their stories. And while Nani had to learn coding to build her first VR experiences, Emblematic are now working on a brand new platform to make it easier for everyone to create these storytelling experiences. And we'll have more on that right after this break. Welcome back to Moonshot, I'm Christopher Lawson. Creating mixed reality and immersive experiences is usually something which requires a lot of technical skill, be that coding or 3D modelling and animation. However, the team at Emblematic recognise that not every storyteller or journalist has the time or resources to actually learn these complicated skills. So Noni and the Emblematic team are building a platform called Reach, it's an online environment where you can build your own immersive storytelling world and then share it with ease. Reach is a, a web platform for making mixed reality content, uh, virtual reality, augmented reality, etc., but volumetric. It is not, um, while you can put 360 video in there, it's really about how do you start creating uh, volumetric content, content that reflects the way our real world is. It has space and dimension. Um, and yet let you be able to publish it um, across devices. So you can look at it on a computer, you can look at it on a phone, or if you have a headset plugged in, you literally can just hit a button and you can start walking around. And the point of this was to make it really easy for anybody to just use buttons to um, create content so that um, they didn't have to learn how to become a C-sharp coder or have the steep learning curves of Unity and Unreal. I really wanted to democratize the ability for uh, doing storytelling. Um, so, you know, it's a super um, exciting uh, breakthrough technology that we've been developing here at Emblematic to kind of let anybody do uh, these kind of stories. We've made a sort of tiered experience so, so that there's a uh, you can do uh, stuff for free and but of course we have to support ourselves so there is going to be some also higher end tools that we'll, we'll ask people to subscribe to so that we can support ourselves and our families. Nani gave me a demonstration of the Reach platform and I must say it appeared to be incredibly simple to drive. 
And what many people don't know about me is that before I got into journalism, I actually studied animation for film and television. And for a long time, I thought my career was going to be as a technical animator. So when I saw the demonstration of Reach, I could quickly see how incredibly powerful this could be for creators wanting to get into this space. You can start building in in seconds um, content that you don't have to worry about doing Unity. Um, uh, Learning how to become a C-sharp coder, which is what you really need for Unity. I mean, you can do some work within Unity, but if you want to do, you know, most things are going to require some sort of scripts to to be attached. Um, Unity is wonderful. Don't get me wrong. I think Unity is an amazing, amazing platform and Unreal. They've been great tools. But um, for a lot of folks, um, they don't need the um, complexity. Um, they can use simple tools to get started and start telling simple stories. And then, you know, later on, if they want to move to the more complex stuff, they'll be able to use the game engine um, technologies. But this is a way it's, you know, basically it's like the most simple editing suite, but volumetric. Um, it is a way to start thinking about what's volumetric YouTube. What's YouTube that you can walk through and move through, right? Um and that's a crucial component for this medium to grow up. We need more content creators. We need more people participating. We need more people watching. And um, we wanted to make it headset agnostic. So you could look on any headset. You could look across any computer or any phone. Um, you know, at some point, the phone and the headsets are going to merge. But in the meantime, we really need to start establishing really cool content for this for this medium. Given where the technology is now, what skill set do you need to become an immersive storyteller in 2019? I think to become an immersive storyteller, it's just a different perspective on how do you approach your content? Um, are you going to be able to move through it? Shut your eyes, put your body in the place. Imagine walking through the content. Imagine moving through it instead of thinking about it being flat. At the same time, you have to consider that people's bodies are along for the ride. So be careful what you do with them. I tend to lock my camera down because if you start doing zooms and pans, you're going to make 30 to 40% of your audience sick. Now, you'll have 60 to 70% of people who will love it, but you have to decide what's worth it, right? Um, uh, so I tend not to do that because I get nauseous really easily. Um, but right now, otherwise, you know, f- with photogrammetry, there's some cleanup problems, but you can go out and shoot a lot of photographs of any object and um, run it through some of the programs, the algorithms now that will stitch it together for you. Every smartphone these days has two cameras so that it can shoot with depth. We're going to be sharing our world with depth. Um, we know Apple's got a headset that they're cooking up. So very soon you're going to have the tools just in your hand to be able to create and distribute. We've actually been able to get reach working so you can actually make it on a phone. Um, uh, that means you'll be able to, yeah, shoot whatever it is you want to share, bring it into your reach uh, environments, add whatever video objects, and then spit it back out again. So the devices are all going to merge, but in the, in, even in the short term, um, you're going to have the tool set in your pocket uh, very soon. How has all of this uh, this immersive content changed your relationship with journalism? I think one thing that has changed is um, the fact that I've had to consistently be the innovator. Um, you know, I used to 3D print my own headsets because when Oculus first started, it sat you on a chair and I didn't want to sit in a chair. So I had to 3D print my own goggles um, uh, in my mom's garage. 
I have constantly had to build my own code to make things work the way that I want to work and reach is another example of that. So I sometimes I miss being on the ground during the journalism. I still get to work on some pretty cool projects, but um, sometimes I miss the kind of daily joys of journalism. But I also have accepted this role that um, I have a vision for this stuff. I kind of deeply understand it and I can see what we need to do next. So I'm, I've accepted that that's pretty much my role is to help really create the future. This episode of Moonshot was hosted and edited by me, Christopher Lawson, with production assistance from Jasmine Mee Lee. Our artwork was created by Andrew Millist, and our theme music and all other music in this episode is from Breakmaster Cylinder. You can find out more information about our show on our website, moonshot.audio. And make sure you follow us on social media. Just search for Moonshot Pod. We'll see you next time. <laughs>